Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is musician Doug Legacy. First of all, there's another streaming scam going on, and this is really unusual. There are reports online that the same song is showing up with different names, different artwork, and under different artist names. In fact, there's a report that one song in particular showed up with 49 different names. Now, this is happening on Spotify, but also on Apple Music too. And although we haven't heard about it on other streaming platforms, you can bet that it's probably happening there as well. Now, these aren't great songs. (laughs) In fact, in some cases, they're just cut up pieces of a song that are then put together. And these are usually really short. They're under a minute. Not much thought is put into the names, the titles, the artwork. Most of the time, the artwork is just stock photos. Most of them were uploaded in 2022, and the artists are non-existent on other platforms. So, in other words, they don't exist. After some digging, it was determined that there are 20 people behind 500 different artist names. These are all based in Sweden, which, ironically, is the home of Spotify. Turns out that Spotify is also pushing these particular titles. Sounds peculiar, doesn't it? Now, anonymous sources inside one of the distributors, and again, it's not really named, say that the songwriters and producers of these songs are paid a flat fee or a low royalty in advance. So why is this? Why is it happening? Well, that's less money that the distributor like Spotify or Apple Music has to pay to the record labels. All of the money goes into a big pot, and then it's divided by the number of streams. So if some of those streams are owned by the distributor, like Spotify, then their margins go higher. And for a company that has never made a profit, that's a big deal. Keep in mind that none of this has been substantiated, and Spotify certainly isn't commenting. But it sure is strange when songs pop up on playlists that aren't connected to real artists. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Now we all have the sound of vacuum tubes. As soon as we hear vacuum tubes, we think vintage equipment, vintage audio gear, vintage guitar amps. And really, vacuum tubes are still used in audio gear and guitar amps, but those tubes are getting harder and harder to find. Once upon a time, the U.S. was the leader in tube manufacturing, and that stopped around 1960 when the transistor took over. Up until then, companies like RCA and General Electric and Raytheon were the giants, but so was AT&T's Western Electric, which was the last vacuum tube manufacturer standing, and then they shuttered their plant in 1995. 
Since then, most tubes have come from China and Russia, but U.S. trade sanctions have stopped many imports and sent prices soaring. For instance, a tube that retailed for about $10 in 2019 now costs over $100. Plus, the tubes you get today aren't that reliable. Manufacturers like Fender have to buy 10 tubes to get three that they like. A guy named Charles Whitener purchased all the assets from the last U.S. tube manufacturer, which is Western Electric, and he did this just to make one particular high-end hi-fi tube, the 300B. This is used in hi-fi amplifiers. The 300B was originally designed in 1930 primarily to enable transoceanic telephone calls. Then hi-fi came calling and a new use for it was found. Up until now, that's all the new Western Electric has been manufacturing, a 300B. But the company is now setting its sights on the 12VX7 preamp tube, which is probably the most popular and best-selling audio tube not only ever, but now. If this goes well, they'll make other tubes like 6L6s and 6VA6s and all the others that are used in audio gear. As cool as it would be to have another tube manufacturer that's an alternative to foreign tubes, the fact is the tube emulations are so good these days that even guitar players are turning away from tube amplifiers. Still, it's a technology that's very cool and I hope will never die. My guest this week is musician Doug Legacy, who's one of the founding members of the Zydeco Party Band, which won an Emmy for being the house band for The Late Mr. Pete Show. The band also provided music for Gilmore Girls, How I Met Your Mother, and The Bucket List, starring Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman, and Sean Hayes. Doug has also worked as a steel drummer for Rod Stewart, played accordion for Paul McCartney, played piano for Delbert McClinton, and sang background vocals for Brian Wilson and Todd Rundgren. Doug has a really varied life. He's puppeteered background characters on The Muppets Tonight, and his band was featured as a house band for the show as well. And he's played a pirate at Disneyland playing sea shanties on accordion and penny whistles. During the interview, we spoke about who makes the best steel drums, the difference between German and Italian accordions, playing a pirate at Disneyland, playing with Paul McCartney and singing with Todd Rundgren, and much more. I spoke with Doug via Zoom from a studio in Los Angeles. You have a really interesting background, and I want to know about how you started in the music business because, again, it's long and interesting from what I could tell, but you're going to tell me more. Well, you know, I've been playing piano since I was five. My dad was a piano player. He would get up every morning and um, pretty much always play uh, Deep Purple, and my mother would sing it, and that was our get-up-out-of-bed song, you know? And uh, I had a piano that I played on that was untunable. So I got used to, you know, keeping my hands moving. Don't hold those chords out too long, you know, because <laughs> it's got to keep it going. So eventually, and we never really had that much money. You know, I mean, I, I, at one point I, I shined shoes and played pool to p- play for piano lessons. You know, so it's like, and, I, and that, that one of my songs on my new record is about that. At some point, I, I realized if I wanted to have an untuned piano, I better learn how to do it. So um, I, I did. And uh, that's when I stopped doing a variety of jobs from working in, on oil derricks to um, 
uh, being a baker and all kinds of things, you know. And but once I learned how to tune pianos, I said, "Oh, this I'm not getting too dirty, and it's pretty good money," you know. I mean, at the time, it didn't seem like you know, it doesn't seem like much now, but at the time, it was, you know. And uh, it, it's you know, it, it's it's one of those things that I've been, I've been trying for 40 years to find somebody to train, and it's really hard to find guys that'll stick with it because once they realize, oh, this is not that hard to do, but then oh, to get that top octave, you got to practice and practice and practice, you know. You know, it's hard to find somebody that'll stick with it. You know, I still haven't really, to tell you the truth. I've I've trained some guys that that can you know regulate and 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 do the the, the technical. I mean, the um, you know make the action right uh, stuff. But the tuning part is it's 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 harder than it looks. You know, but it's you know for me, I mean, a lot of guys go, oh, you got to stretch the tuning and all this kind of stuff. But you know, no, it's about you know what's right mathematically. You know, do the force and fist work all the way up and down the piano or not? But anyway, I, I you know, I, I had I, I, I majored in music in college and, and uh, minored in oceanography, which did me a lot of good. Right. Uh, but um, uh, and uh, at one point it was a classical school. My It was the University of Texas. And and um, uh, when I went home for the summer, my my, my sister in law, who was a, a soloist, you know, in the, with the Houston Symphony at the time, uh, said, oh, you got to join the. The, the chorus, you know, so I joined the chorus. The next thing I know, I was doing little quartets with the ballet and doing all that kind of stuff. And um, long story short, I didn't go back to college and started playing in country western bands and blues bands. And 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 my own music at the time was, you know, I was I was really into dissonance and Bartek and uh, uh, Bartok, excuse me. Bartek came much later when I played with Boingo, but. Um, <laughs> right. it, but it was you know it, it, one thing led to another, and the piano tuning was always like a way because the music I was writing was not anything I could sell at the time. You know, I mean, I'm still working on that, you know, some of the more dissonant weird stuff that I still like, but um, the piano tuning came in handy. And when I came out to, to Los Angeles to pick up some better steel drums and what I already had that I'd gotten down in the Caribbean, because I found out later that I should have gone to the to Trinidad. And but when I met Robert Greenwich, I was tuning the piano at the Texas Opera House in Houston, and he was playing with Taj Mahal, and said, oh, you know, and, and I heard him tuning his steel drums while I was tuning the piano, I said, oh, please, I got these out-of-tune steel drums, can you t- look at them? So he said, sure, we brought them down, and he tuned them up a bit, and said, these are okay, but if you want the real thing, you got to meet the guy who makes my steel drums, and the guy that makes the steel drums for, um, uh, the guy that plays with Neil Diamond, and, you know, the guys that are making a living, and they're at, he's out in L.A., so we packed up, and, you know, we're thinking we'd just go out to LA, pick up some steel drums and come back to Houston. We were kind of having a following at the time and starting to open up some shows for people and stuff. And, but, uh, the, the, the Trinidadians in LA didn't want to accept us right away. We had to like kind of prove ourselves. And so we were, you know, playing out on the street and living in our van. And finally they sold us some steel drums. But by that time we were pretty, you know, in, integrated into the, the neighborhood and uh, we won the gong show and, Next thing you know, I've tuned a piano for Rod Stewart, and they asked me to go out on the road with them to tune their pianos and also play some steel drums. So I did that for a while, and then, you know, one thing led to another, and never went back to L.A. I never went back to, never back to Houston, to live anyway. Well, you can't beat the weather out here, but Houston's okay, too. Oh, well, I love Houston, you know, but, you know, it's, it's the, 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 you have to have special collars for your roaches to take them on walks, you know, they're so big. <laughs> and, and the mosquitoes, you know, they're like, birds you know i mean i don't miss that and, and the humidity it's like living in a fishbowl all the time yeah 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 
But I, I do miss, you know, a lot of things. Like you said, it's so close to Louisiana for one thing. And, and it was, you know, we lived in New Orleans when I was a kid for a while, and I, that just never wore off. I, I love that music. I love the food. And, um, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to hear my new record, but it's a, it's a, a lot about Louisiana. Yeah, it influenced you enough that you learned how to play accordion, right? Well, I, the, the accordion thing came because I married an accordionist. And uh, <laughs> she was also a disc jockey. And uh, at least listen, she's a little older than me. But I used to listen to her on the radio when I was on my way to school in the morning in Houston. And then later on, we got together. You know, it was it was pretty tumultuous at first, but because uh, she was my 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 buddy's girlfriend, and uh, she was about to move into his house. And anyway, I ended up moving into the house because I had the, the keyboards and stuff that he wanted. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we finally got it together, and we've been married forty three years now. Mm. And uh, you know, it's been a while. Anyway, she was pregnant, and. Uh, some friends of ours from Louisiana came out and wanted to put an, uh, a Zydeco band together. And this is before there was much of a Zydeco scene going on in L.A., really. He, uh, Clyde, what, God, what was his last name? Anyway, he was Lucinda's boyfriend at the time. Lucinda was, you know, and I had a, a band back together in Houston before that. And then she lived, lived across the street from me in L.A. and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, Clyde came into town and wanted to, put a, wanted to make Jennifer um, the new Queen Ida. But she was like eight months pregnant. So I said... Okay, well, look, I'll, I'll do this for a little while, and then, you know, please take over, you know. And that was a long time ago. I, was st- I still play accordion, and an accordion's been a, been very, very good for me. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I started on accordion. I, oh, I grew, yeah? I grew up in Pennsylvania, and okay. and I'm, I'm Polish, so the thing was you'd play polkas. And, Absolutely. And I, I learned that, but I didn't understand at the time how cool it was in terms of it, it's very indigenous to the region that I was from. And as soon as I could, I, I got rid of it and then, you know, became a rock and roll guitar player. And now I go back and I kind of regret it because it's like, well, you know, you can learn a lot from that. And I could have, and I didn't, you know. Well, you know, I've got about 30 accordions and you're welcome to one of them. I actually have one now. Someone <laughs> gifted me one recently, but thank you. Yeah. No, the Italians, you know, make great accordions. You know, it, it, I, I waver between Italian and German, you know. Mm. Uh, the, the honers are just so durable. But the uh, the Italians seem to have more uniqueness per instrument for, for me. You know, you can find one that they look exactly the same, but they sound totally different, yeah. you know. Yeah. And 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 the, and the Italians were a little bit more flamboyant about their uh, designs and stuff, which you know, it's good for stage. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay, so you've been doing a lot of things from being a piano tuner, being a player, and then you also did some keyboard teching, right? Yeah, that it all kind of worked hand in hand, and, and now I have a recording studio too that I, I at my home, which is. It's it's a little bit bigger than most people's home studios because uh, I had this I had a big house in in Silver Lake that's on a hill, and they never developed the basement. It was this huge area, about a thousand square feet, and I had to. It was a 1926 house, so it, it it had been sitting idle for quite a while when I got it. So I got it dirt cheap, thank goodness, because I would I could never afford to buy into this neighborhood now. But um, I had to fix the foundation anyway, so I just started pouring a bunch of concrete down there and. I got about a thousand square feet of studio down there now with a, you know, a big drum booth and two or three other little ISO booths and, you know. And that nice is big for a home studio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, as I, I work a lot with Van Dyke Parks. He, um, one of my oldest friends in town, and and um, I can record a whole band down there. But I, most of the work I do is is on Van Dyke's uh, demos and stuff. You know, where we bring in a string player or, or woodwinds one at a time, usually, and, um, and then you know I put it all together, and then we ship it off to whoever's got the first strings, and then they, you know, rent a big place with a real orchestra. You know, when they get the budget, but. It's just it's been such a privilege to work with him, though. Oh, yeah. He's one of the greats. The all-time greats, sure. And so funny. You know, I mean, he's every, every you know, he, he, don't write this down. Or don't tell anybody this story. But, <laughs> uh, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't know him, unfortunately, but yeah, I've heard that. Well, I was doing a show at the Troubadour and back in 78 or 9, and somebody brought him to see us because we played steel drums, you know, and he's a big steel drum guy. And uh, we've been buddies ever since. You know? Well, okay, let's go back to steel drums for a second. So you, you said that the drums that you had, you couldn't tune. And then the difference between, you know, something that's good and, and not so good. Can you hit me to the differences here? It, well, it's the, the, the sophistication of the making of them. The And, and now the Jamaicans have, have almost caught up with the Trinidadians, but in, in the old days, you know, the, the Jamaican ones sounded more like cowbells, you know, donk, 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 whereas the Trinidadian ones sounded more like chimes, you know, ding, ding, ding. Mm -hmm. And the difference is within each note, you've got like, you know, the uh, on a Trinidadian pan, you'll have like the thirds of the sixths in the corners, the octaves and the fourths and fifths on, on the sides. And there's only like one spot in the middle where you really want to hit it, you know, but it, it makes it's all that combination of, 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 of um, some sympathetic harmonics that gives it that chime thing you know whereas the the simpler tunings of the jamaican ones you know you could never really get it to quite sound that good unless it's by accident and also at the time and some of my i still have some of my older steel drums which have kind of a bizarre pattern but now the the patterns are pretty uh all the same you know they're, they go in circular fourths and fifths but in the old days that you have you know a fourth here then a third or six and then you know and it was and you didn't always have the octave in front of the octave but now you always have you know the low note on the outside and then the octave in front and the high octave you know little tiny note in the middle of the pan and uh but they didn't figure that out till you know after i've been doing it for a while so uh, after they did figure that out then i had to get new pans and try to figure and I go, oh, this is like <laughs> yeah right has all these patterns you know how did you get into doing that in, into playing you know, I just loved the, the, the sound for me was just uh, more than hypnotic. It was like uh, I was drawn to it, you know. It, it, there was a guy, I used to go visit my grandmother in Galveston, Texas all the time when I was a kid. And we would always go down to the to the uh, seawall. And there was this guy that had a bicycle. And he had two big 55-gallon drums attached to the front of the bicycle. And uh, they were real primitive steel drums. But he would, you know, play the steel drums in a whistle. And... Um, I mean, nowadays, you know, I mean, the, the new steel drums and even, you know, before are, are, are pretty fragile, you know, and you don't want to be throwing money into them because you'll knock them right out of tune. But he didn't care. So they said, hey, throw your money into my steel drums. You know, <laughs> he would like, tune them as he went and banging on them with a hammer and, and just real percussive. And it's really, I would chase him down the, the seawall for hours and just listen to this guy do it. And then my, my dad was, um, was really big into the Caribbean and whenever he could, he would take us down there, usually on some kind of, discount thing or because he put a tour together for somebody and he got a free ticket for the family or whatever, you know? So it was, I mean, like, I remember one time we went on a, a freight ship and we were, we they had a, one extra cabin that was like for 
you know, there's red out, you know, and it, it was a rough ride, man. It was like, I must've lost 10 pounds on that ride. <laughs> you know, I cruise a lot and I never took vacations my whole life. And now I, you know, I'm doing more. So I like cruises and I've gone to the Caribbean two dozen times, maybe. Oh, wow. But I've always wanted to take a freighter because there's some glamour in it somehow. I don't know. You know, I, obviously you're, it's different than being on a nice cruise ship, but something cool about it. You see a lot of stuff that you'd never see on a cruise ship. You know, the, the inner workings of a ship and, 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 and all the big machinery and, you know, and the, you know, the interaction between the guys when they're not in front of a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, passengers, you know. <laughs> and uh, it, it was really fascinating, but, but a rough ride, man. You, you know, you, you got to be ready for that. Wow. Yeah. Well, maybe someday. Yeah. I guess you go to different ports too than not the big you ports. Know, I don't know about that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's not a, a, a big selection of, of ones in, in, on the smaller islands. It's either, you know, this is where you come in or you don't come in, you know? Yeah. Tell me about Dr. Soundgood. Dr. Soundgood. Well, Dr. Soundgood has been my handle for my piano tuning business for years and years. And then we were trying to come up with an, and ever since I started the Zydeco Party Band way back, you know, about almost 35 years ago, Stan Freeze from Disney called me up and I just had another Zydeco band that had, had, had broken up. And he said, I need a Zydeco band for a, for a party. Uh, what are we going to call it? I said, well, you know, you needed to answer right then. I said, well, let's just call it Zydeco Party Band. You know, and if we if the, if the band takes up, we'll change the name later. <laughs> it never <laughs> happens, does it? <laughs> About a dozen records, and 30 years later, we're you know still the Zydeco Party Band, but this new record has got a little hint of Zydeco on it, but it's it's more about, you know, like uh, Alan Toussaint, Dr. John, the meters kind of sounds, you know, with a really great horn section. You know, I, I, my, my buddy uh, Bill Churchville, uh, who plays with Tower Power, did all the arrangements. He was, I had him, he was going to do one song, and I went, oh, no, we got to do this on all the yeah, songs. Yeah. Was a, it ended up doing a lot of lot of horns on the record. And, you know, of course, Jimmy Z playing on it, too. It was great. Uh, so anyway, we, we, we did a couple of gigs after the, we were almost done with the record, and um, people were coming to the gigs that, that hadn't heard us before. And it, it, we, hey, we saw it build as a Zydeco party band, and you haven't played any Zydeco yet. <laughs> we go, so we, oh, okay, well, we'll play some Zydeco. So we did some Zydeco, but then we got to talking and said, look, you know, this, this isn't working. You know, we've got to come up with a name that's a little bit, you know, more universal so we can do more stuff. I'm tired of getting pigeonholed into being, you know, just a Zydeco band. Because for one thing, if you if play Zydeco music in, in California, unless you get a real special crowd of, like, hardcore Louisiana people, they really don't want to hear Zydeco all night long. You know, the, you have to be more versatile and do... A variety of stuff you know uh, some blues and maybe a little cajun and and some you know whatever a couple of popular songs that would be with a louisiana style to it you know or, anyway so we did we were racking our heads trying to come up with something and that, that's what we came up with dr sound good so i figured if it sounds good it's gonna be fine yeah 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 <laughs> okay i, I want to come back to your new record in a second but first tell me about being a pirate at disneyland oh man well, that was, you know, another Stan Freeze, you know, he, he's been booking talent there for years and years and years. And then he also books at Knott's Berry Farm, which where we played for the last few summers. And, um, you know, he called me and says, you know, I got this, uh, this pirate thing. I need you to play some accordion for me. It's only four months, you know, but you got to be a crew member. I said, well, I don't want to be a crew member. I'm not going to get drug tested. I'm not going to cut my hair. At the time I had really long hair and a beard and all this stuff. Yeah. 
said, oh, no, we don't want you to cut your hair. You know, keep the beard. You know, you're a pirate, you know. And I, I still didn't really want to do it because I just figured that sounds too good to be true. But And uh, he finally talked. He, well, he hung up, and then he called me back a few days later and says, we can't find anybody that will do this gig. you got to help me out with this. I said, okay, bro, I'll do it till you find somebody else. Anyway, it's only four months. I think I can handle it, you know. And uh, 15 years later and thousands of shows later, you know, seven shows a day. Uh, and it, it, at first it was, it was, it, I mean, it was fun, but it was like, you have to, you know, they had taken about a dozen sea shanties and sold the melodies and kind of fused them all together into silly little songs with corny lyrics about Jack Sparrow. And we went, they wanted us to play those seven times a day over and over and over. And then, and everybody was going nuts. And, yeah. uh, so me and, and I had done a bunch of pirate work for him before, just on, on a solo basis when, whenever they had something going on. So I, I was kind of into the, the genre anyway, and I, I knew a few pirate songs and some sea shanties and, and you know, Irish jigs always come in handy on that kind of stuff. So we, me and, and my buddy Tim Reeder started bringing in tunes, and, and now they've got, you know, probably a couple hundred tunes, and we don't um, repeat songs all day if we can avoid it, other than yo-ho, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, it, it turned out to be a whole lot of fun and everybody in, in the bands were, you know, cause they went through hundreds of people auditioning. So everybody's very proficient at their instruments and, and turned out to be a real family kind of thing. And I've been with a few of those people a lot more than I've been with my family, family in the last 15 years. So, um, in fact, me and Timmy and, um, and Swimmy, the, the young violinist that joined us when she was only 20 at the time are, are going to play, um, uh, an Irish gig for Angel Brewery coming up soon. So for the St. Paddy's Day, you know, we were going to do all those pirate songs. Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, right, you know. Okay, so tell me something about this. So you've been doing this for a long time, obviously, and a lot of shows. Do you ever get to the point where you're not thinking about it? It's just happening. Oh, absolutely. You know, I wake up in the middle of a set. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. <laughs> I've been playing at the Red Lion Tavern for 30 years. It's like two blocks from my house. It's an old German pub. I play there on Sundays. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to keep to, hey, quit sending me Jägermeisters, please. Yeah. <laughs> I, I make it home, you know. But uh, it's it's been a blessing and a curse, you know, one of those kind of gigs. But uh, it's stumbling distance from my house, you know. But The reason why I ask is, like I said, I, I do some cruising, and I always like to hang with the band if I can and th the same thing happens you look at them and they're in another place the eyes are way far away as they're playing <laughs> it's like I you know I I really don't want to be here but the money's good you know one of those things yeah, you know I mean I, I I try to avoid gigs that aren't fun yeah because I mean you know I, I no matter what I mean I've learned the hard way in LA that even though you think the room's empty, there's one guy over in the corner that's somebody. You know, you never know. And I mean, I always try to find somebody to connect with in the audience anyway. You know, just, yeah. um, you know, have it be because I mean, what if the, you know, the earthquake comes in the middle of my set? I want this to be the best set I ever did. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. I always try to play my best. It's funny you mentioned that. I had Miles Copeland on, on podcast a year or so ago. He was the former manager of the police, mm. band the police and sting and he was telling me the story about how they actually broke through and he said they were playing a martha's vineyard to in at a club and there were three people and they decided they're just going to go and do their set and they were great and one of the people was a big dj from the biggest 
FM station in Boston who then started to play them and then they blew up. Wow. So again, like you said, you never know who's going to be there. Exactly. Anyway, I'm curious. You mentioned about the Zydeco audiences in, in Southern California. Do they expect what you're going to play? I mean, generally, like you say, if you have a bunch of people from Louisiana, that they know what they want. But in general, do they understand what you're playing? You know, I, I don't think it's a matter of understanding. It's just more of a matter of, of saturation. You know, they don't get that much of that music, really. You know, and they, and as long as you play a few things that they, you know, they, they probably if they if they're hard as Idaho band, they've probably heard of Clifton Chenier. Yeah, they've probably heard a few of his major songs or, or Buckwheat Zydeco or. Now it's C.J. Chenier, you know, and and you know uh, maybe Queen Ida and that kind of stuff, and and if you play a couple of those hits, you know you can get away with it. But then, you know, but if you keep this that same high energy thing going all the time, or a waltz, either one, you know, it, it they they gradually go, well, hey, do you know any Chuck Berry or do you know any mm. this or that? You know, I mean, like we we just got booked to do the Crawfish Festival down in Long Beach in May, and that's probably going to be more of the line dancers and, the, and they want to hear what, you know, the ones that they can dance to. Mm-hmm. Stuff. So you got to know those, but, but for no, for a private party, you really need to know a variety of stuff. Is what it might experience anyway. But it's in the name though. I, well, I, <laughs> I guess you can be selective what you're, what you're seeing there. If this is either Zydeco or party, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why I had to get, to change the name of the band because, yeah. you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, have people come to see us just to hear Zydeco music. You know, I want them, you know, and I'm hoping that the record gets out there a little bit and that people start to dig it and want to hear what we're doing, you know, because I think we're, we're being pretty innovative and, 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 and that all the players in my band are, are so seasoned and, you know, everybody's played with big stars and, and they're all just so good, you know, that we, it just comes together pretty magically, you know. Okay, so in all the stuff you've done, is there one thing that you can pick out and you go, that was the most fun? Wow, that's a tough question. You know, I mean, one of the most fun things, although it was extremely difficult and very stressful, was kind of my breakout of doing roadie stuff, you know, because I had, you know, for years I'd I'd do six months making pretty good money working for rock stars, and then I'd do six months struggling with my band trying to get, discovered in LA, you know, mm-hmm. losing money. I, I was, I was a, a technician for the tubes and utopia doing a tour together. Uh, I got to know Todd and uh, he heard me singing one time after a, a gig at a bar somewhere, you know, that we were just crashing and he said, Hey, do you want to be in my, my uh, new project after this tour as a singer? It was, it's going to be 11 people singing and me and that's it. It's going to be, it's called acapella. I said, are you kidding? I'm there, baby. You know, how much is it going to cost me? You know, <laughs> that was almost true because there wasn't much of a budget on that, but it was the most fun. But we, we rehearsed at his house in Woodstock as it turned out longer than the tour was because something happened between him and the record company and they got annoyed and all of a sudden half the tour was pulled, you know, and we didn't get to do the Saturday Night Live show. We didn't go to Europe and all that stuff, but we still did a tour because he had a great fan base and, um, you know, it was, we were all sharing rooms and that kind of stuff, but it, it was, and, and he would record every show. Uh, after the show, he would go back to the back of the bus, listen to the show, and then come out and give us report cards. And then we play this bizarre form of Scrabble and drink a bunch of Irish whiskey. And it was, but it was one of the most, you know, rewarding things, 
you know, musically for me. And also uh, after that, I got tied to uh, work with me on, on a record a little bit and, and that kind of stuff, you know. So, I mean, you know, I still, it's a huge Todd fan, you know, I love Todd. That might was fun. Another one that was a lot of fun was a one nighter with um, uh, Paul McCartney. I got to play with Paul one night, you know, when it was uh, for this big thing at, at Paramount, uh, it was a benefit for uh, PETA, you know, in tribute to his ex wife and um, late wife, I should say. You know, it was a band was incredible. It was David Gilmore on guitar and, you know, Ian Pace on drums from Deep Purple. And, you know, I mean, the, and there I was up there playing accordion, you know, and I, and, and you know, I, I didn't have, a, he said, now wear black suits. I went, I don't have a black suit. That's <laughs> it. So I, I got over there on this funky old tuxedo and I looked ridiculous. But, um, it was a great night, you know, and then the party afterwards went on till like four or five in the morning in a little trailer, you know, with, you know, everybody walking in from Jeff Linda, you know, that I had worked for before too. And it was really awesome to see him that night, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, tons of cool people, you know, it was a lot of fun that night. And then at the, of course, at the end of the night, we all go out of this trailer and they all get in their Bentleys and limousines and I get in a beat up little Toyota, you know, go, so yeah, and then another world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question, Doug. What's the best piece of advice that maybe somebody imparted to you or maybe you learned yourself along the way? I think the best piece of advice is don't lose momentum. You got to keep it going, uh, even if it's a little bit every day, you know, and and always, you know, if, if you have to practice something really hard that's, you know, you're coming up or something, be sure you do something fun too, you know, keep it fun and, and don't stop. You can find out more about Doug at DougLegacy.com. That's DougLegacy, L-E-G-A-C-Y dot com. And you can also find out about Dr. Soundgood at DrSoundGood.net. That's D-R-S-O-U-N-D-G-O-O-D, DrSoundGood, all one word, dot net. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at BobbyOsinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 